The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone. This is Mary Woods. Um, we're going to talk about recovery from dual disorders. And the whole message we want to get across to all of our listeners is that Recovery really is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And our guests today um, have very different perspectives on recovery from dual disorders, and I'd like to introduce them to you right now. Our first guest is Lindy Fox-Smith, who is a master's degree clinician with a LADAC, which is a licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor. She's a trainer and consultant in the field of co-occurring mental illness, and substance use disorders. Um, she has recently retired from the Dartmouth Psychiatric Research Center after having worked there for 23 years as a senior research associate. She has worked on research projects examining the effectiveness of treatment for people with serious mental illnesses and substance use disorders. She has been working with Robert Drake, um, who is the director and chief psychiatrist for the Dartmouth Psychiatric Research Center, and she has been involved in research, diagnostic assessment, supervision, training, and consultation. She has tremendous uh, degree and variety of clinical experience providing group and individual treatment to people with uh, dual dis- disorders. Um, Lindy's expertise has been gained through a combination of formal education and personal experience. She's been the recipient of services that she now participates in designing and evaluating. So she has a very unique perspective on what we're going to be talking about today. As a result of this unusual combination of personal and professional experience, Lindy brings sensitivity, humor, and extensive knowledge to this challenging field of work with people with both serious mental illness and substance use disorders. Lindy has also authored many books and articles on the subject of dual disorders. Our other guest um, is... Catherine Armstrong, who is part of the consulting team from Philadelphia-based firm called Dunleavy & Associates. And Kat, we call her Kat. She's known Catherine officially, but I will probably be calling her Kat throughout the uh, show today. Works with our marketing and leadership teams at Westbridge, um, helping us with development initiatives, marketing, and a variety of other duties as assigned. Um, most significantly, um, she has recently assisted in writing um, a book she co-authored, she co-authored with me. She did all the hard work called When the Door Opened, which we will be talking about on this show as well. Kat graduated from Bowdoin College in 2008 with a BA in Art History and a minor in Sociology. And Kat's perspective is very unique because until she came to Westbridge, she never really bumped up against um, the illnesses of addiction or mental illness. So um, she has a, a different perspective, which she will share with us. And before I get our guests to start talking, I really want our listeners to understand that 
Both mental illness and addiction are brain diseases and they're chronic illnesses. There's no magic bullet. There's no magic medication. There's not one treatment intervention that's going to, quote, unquote, cure these illnesses. Just like hypertension, diabetes, asthma, there are different um, medications that help different people. There are different treatment interventions that help different people. There's not a one-size-fits-all for any of these chronic illnesses. And and I think, you know, it's especially hard on families because these illnesses affect the brain, and so that really affects people's behavior. And I think it can be very discouraging for families. And I, and I, what I really want to encourage people to understand is that, you know, families need support in order for people to have the ability to recover because family involvement is just crucial, I believe, to people's recovery. I was at uh, shopping yesterday at at uh, one of the local stores and I ran into a woman I know who I had seen at a recovery event two years ago and she said to me, she said, you know, um, I saw you at that recovery event. I was with my son and I said, yeah, how's he doing? She said, oh, he's back in treatment. I'm so discouraged. And I tried to talk to her a little bit about, you know, that this happens or whatever, but she, she really, she was so discouraged she didn't even want to hear about it. And and I think that she, her experience is typical for a lot of people that we work with, that um, these illnesses are very draining and they are treatable. And I, and I think that we really want to focus today on the fact that um, treatment is effective and people can recover from dual disorders, but it really takes a lot of time and patience. And enough with my... Um, soapbox for today. I'd like to invite Lindy to just share a little bit um, of your perspective about recovery from dual disorders and you can take it wherever you want to take it, Lindy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sitting in, a, in an office and in front of me is a picture of my four adult daughters and my granddaughters and we're, we're a family of women and um it couldn't be more appropriate because those are the people responsible in, in a way for my recovery. Um, I, I, um, I'm a person with co-occurring disorders. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder that was triggered by postpartum depression. All four of my daughters were born within a five-year period, so I had a lot of pregnancies very close together and they triggered a, a very severe depression, and um, it was, in fact, diagnosed as bipolar depression. And thankfully, I had been sober during those pregnancies. But with the severe postpartum depression after my fourth daughter was born, I decided, you know, I knew better than the psychiatrist to treat my depression, I started drinking again. I had been drinking before that, and I started drinking again. And after um, the the four years after my uh, youngest daughter was born, um, I went in and out of hospitals over 30 times. And um, there was nothing about that that was integrated treatment. Um, you know, I had a psychiatrist that didn't even know I was drinking, um, trying to treat my bipolar depression, and he wasn't successful at all. Um, I was not caring for my daughters. I had lost um, primary custody of them because the courts, you know, looked at this crazy, crazy 
uh, bipolar lady going in and out of the hospitals and said, oh, she can't care for her children. And so, um, you know, that was just another reason to drink. And so I went in and out of hospitals. Finally, the psychiatrist figured out I, I was drinking only because I called him once when I was drunk. And um, he finally sent me to Dartmouth uh, Hospital, um, which I think is kind of ironic since I ended up working for them. Um, and they they sort of were catching on to integrated treatment. My psychiatrist had sent me for electroshock and a very savvy um, resident there said, no, I'm not going to give you electroshock. I'm going to send you to an alcohol and drug rehab. And um, when I was in that rehab, my ex-husband brought my four little girls to visit me there. And he took pictures of me and my girls playing outside at the rehab and he mailed them back to me. And I saw those pictures and I said, um, you know, is this what I want my future to be? My my daughter's visiting me in hospitals and rehabs, and that was kind of my spiritual awakening. Um, I got sober. That was over 26 years ago. And um, an amazing thing happened. I stopped going in and out of the hospital for my depression. <laughs> uh, my bipolar disorder did not go away, but it became much more stable. Um, I've still been um, in some, had some hospitalizations for depression, but they've been, you know, it's probably been five or six times in the last 26 years. And, um, and uh, although I still take medication, my bipolar disorder has been much, much more stable than when I was drinking. And so, um, you know, I decided that um, I could give back to the field. Um, with some of my experiential treatments. So I, I went to graduate school and I got a master's in, in counseling psychology, but of course I knew there was the other side of the treatment as well and became a licensed alcohol and drug counselor and have never regretted the decision to work in this field. I've just been given so many gifts by people uh, in recovery with co-occurring disorders that I've worked with over the past 20 three or 24 years, and it, it's just been a, a wonderful journey for me. I can live and um, work in in the field and, um, you know, just be a, my recovery as a part of my, my life and my work. Um, I, I think we should do a disclaimer and say that both uh, Lindy and Kat um, work for Westbridge, and we're very grateful to have them working for us in a as both as an employee and as a consultant. And, and Kat, after having said that disclaimer, could you just share with our audience, um, when you knew you were going to be coming to Westbridge for the first time, what were your thoughts in terms of thinking about who you'd be meeting and what the work might be like with our folks? Um, absolutely, and thanks for having me on here, Mary. Um, well, the first time that I came to Westbridge was about two and a half years ago. It was in June of 2010. Uh, and I had just started my new position in Philadelphia. Um, and so it was kind of a, I guess, a bit of a whirlwind period for me in general of starting a new job in a new industry and meeting lots of new uh, clients, you know, as, as typical consulting firms do. We're typically working with a number of different organizations at a time. Um, and I would say I didn't honestly know what to expect. I don't really recall having any um, and totally honestly, not just trying to, you know, make myself look good, but don't really recall having any stigmas specifically. Um, 
but I definitely remember kind of wondering what it was going to be like. And I remember arriving at the commons, you know, the, uh, for those of people on the, on listening right now, that's the inpatient treatment uh, facility at Westbridge, um, which is this beautiful house, but not really knowing what to expect or what that was going to be like. I had no idea what a treatment you know, a, a residential treatment program would look like. Uh, and it's a really beautiful home. So I guess that was kind of a, an, it was a very good introduction. Um, it's a very homey place. So that I would say, it's hard to be in that building and not feel comfortable. So I would say that that was a really good first experience. Um, and then well, hold from- that thought because we can go right to commercial and we'll pick up after the commercial. Great. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice of America Business Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today we're talking about recovery from dual disorders with our um, guest, Lindy Fox-Smith, who is a private trainer and consultant. She's recently retired from the Dartmouth Psychiatric Research Center. She works part-time at Westbridge. And we also have with us Catherine Armstrong, who is a member of Dunleavy and Associates, a consulting firm from Philadelphia. So, Kat, you kind of got uh, stopped halfway through your, your thought there when we had to go to commercial. Would you like to continue? Sure. Um, so we were just talking about uh, the experience of kind of first arriving at Westbridge as somebody that uh, really has been, up until this experience, uh, working with the organization, completely uh, an outsider to the fields of recovery, uh, mental illness, um, addiction, or substance use disorders. So um, it has been really interesting for me, I think, uh, you know, over the last two and a half years uh, to be involved with Westbridge, but really on the more operational administrative side, uh, and then to switch roles uh, kind of in the last six months to be working with you, Mary, uh, and getting to know a lot of the guys uh, very, very personally as a process of doing these interviews uh, to be writing this book. And I think that one of the things that was uh, really striking and kind of eye-opening to me uh, was to be realizing how many of 
the guys going through treatment were of a similar age to me. Um, I'm just turned 26 years old this fall. Um, and many of the guys, I would say the majority of the guys with whom we were speaking, um, are kind of within my same age range, mid to late 20s. Some were older, some were younger, but um, certainly all people that I felt like I could really relate to as peers. Um, and that was really fascinating for me. I think that it was um, a very kind of intense process in a good way of getting to know firsthand not only what these guys had been through, but really getting to experience some of the stigmas that they are facing in their day-to-day lives, which are something that I, again, having uh, kind of lived and working professionally exterior to these these fields, hadn't really ever thought about uh, in that way before. Uh, to give you an example of, of some of those myths and misconceptions that we really talked about um, were the idea that uh, mental illness and substance use disorders, when combined together, equate to violence. Um, one of the reactions that I was getting from people outside of the field when talking about this project was, you know, are you sure that it's safe for you to be you know, working one-on-one with these people? Is it, is it safe for you to be in a room alone with them? Um, and really understanding that those comments were not coming from a, a derogatory place, were not meant to be condescending, but really just kind of epitomize and exemplify the lack of awareness that exists in much of our culture that, you know, mental illness and particularly co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders still have a lot of stigma around them with regards to a lot of people in our culture who haven't experienced them or haven't had a loved one who's experienced them. Um, so I think it was a really important process for me in getting and talking with all of these young men to get a better sense for what those those misconceptions are and how it's affecting their day-to-day lives Um, and really just came away from that, particularly, you know, in speaking with the guys that were my own age and really can relate to as people that are no different from many of my peers that I went to college with and and have grown up with um, to really get a sense for how different it is for them to be living and existing in society with the challenges that they face and how unbelievably inspiring it is to see what they've overcome and how they are functioning in society now. So it was really um, very humbling in a sense and and really awe-inspiring to get to know them. I feel very lucky to have gotten the chance to know a lot of the guys and and hear their perspectives. Um, That's a wonderful testimony to them. And I think that you know, the reason that we're able and any treatment center is really able to help people progress through the recovery is by um, using treatment that's been proven to work. And, Lindy, that's certainly been part of your life's work is is being able to demonstrate what is effective treatment for someone with co-occurring disorders. And um, can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. When I was... um, in those 30 going through those 30 hospitalizations, um, it was what they call parallel treatment, where I was getting um, my mental health treatment from a psychiatrist. And then when finally they realized I was drinking, they sent me to another place to try to get substance abuse treatment from a different clinic. And, you know, that's non-integrated care. And I would say most people just don't get better in that kind of treatment. Um, So when I finally um, got into recovery and went to work for Dartmouth, it was, um, we started this small little research project um, in New Hampshire studying integrated treatment for 
um, people with dual disorders. So we were providing both mental health and substance use treatment from the same clinicians or team of clinicians. And from that tiny little research project, you know, in the late 1980s has now come this evidence-based practice that is now all around the world for people with co-occurring disorders where they understand now for for people with co-occurring disorders to get better, they need to have, you know, the same treatment for their mental health and their substance use provided by one team, um, you know, the the same team providing comprehensive treatment for both, and and it really does work. Um, And so that's so, so important. And one of the amazing things that I get to do is go around the country, around the world even, talking to people about recovery and get to share my recovery story with people. And I think sometimes my story provides hope to other people that, wow, she got better. Maybe I can get better too. And sometimes I have people say, well, you know, you're, yeah, you're, telling us that you got better, but look at you, you're, you're not like our clients. And I, I try to say to people, if you had seen me in the hospital during those 30 hospitalizations, I was your client, you know? And, and so it, it, I, I think that sometimes my story and myself can, can show people that yes, people with co-occurring disorders do recover. There is a lot of hope. And, And I think that's a great point, Lindy, because I know when I was, um, in nursing school and early in my work experience, there wasn't a lot of hope for recovery from mental illness. In the addiction world, I felt like there was a lot of hope and the expectation was, you know, you can choose to be sober. You you can get beyond this. But in terms of mental illness, I don't think that hope was always there. And I sometimes feel that, that the providers get as discouraged as, as the families do and, and as sometimes as the participants. And and I think that's especially true when they try to figure out, well, which came first? Do we treat the mental illness first or do we treat the addiction first? Absolutely. And I try to tell folks that these are two primary illnesses. If you can figure out which came first, and I don't think sometimes you can, often you can't figure it out, but now there are two primary illnesses and they both need treatment at the same time. It doesn't matter which came first. So, yeah, they both need to be treated together. When we think about recovery from um, co-occurring disorders, you had mentioned in our first segment how you've had a couple hospitalizations, and I think that that's something that families aren't always prepared for, the fact that, you know, that these illnesses may, just like diabetes or hypertension or heart disease, there may be times when you're more symptomatic. Right. What can you say to people that are listening about that? Well, these are... um, relapsing and remitting illnesses. And I think with the best relapse plan, with the best treatment, there are going to be times when symptoms just, um, you know, need to be evaluated, need to be treated, and we can't always do it on an outpatient basis. Maybe new medications need to be tried. Maybe medications need to be adjusted. And from time to time, I have had the best care. And from time to time, I have needed to be hospitalized. It's only been for a short period of time to be stabilized on a new med or an increased dose and then to, um, you know, return to to home. But, um, 
you know, I think that families need so, so important that families are involved. Sometimes for me, I'm not the best one to watch my um, early warning signs. I'm not the best one to say, hey, Lindy, you haven't been sleeping well in the past week. Hey, Lindy, you are a little bit more irritable. I may not pick up on all of those early signs, but family members do. And so if they can catch those early signs and let me know and I can call my psychiatrist and we can do those med changes quickly enough, maybe I won't have to go into the hospital. So, um, you know, there's, there's so much that can be done um, with these illnesses, um, you know, and families and support systems are so, so important. There may be times when a, a person in recovery does need, um, you know, a setting that, that um, requires more, more care, but um, it probably will be, be few and far between if they have the supports in place. I think that that's so crucial because, um, you know, the supports in place can be family, it can be members of peer support groups, it could be members of self-help um, self-help community, and that um, I think it's also important that we we as a community embrace people with dual disorders and that we don't set them aside or we don't put them in a treatment center on a hill in the middle of nowhere. That um, I think it's really important that people understand that, that these folks have as much right to be in recovery and to have access to good care as, as anyone else. Absolutely. I'm I'm so excited about what's happened in mental health over the last 10 to 15 years um, where, as you said before, Mary, people with mental illness were were not expected to ever recover, but now recovery both in mental health and addiction is about um, defining it for yourself, um, living with the illnesses, but moving forward in a way that um, you can live and participate in the community and, um, you know, manage and, and um, really have a wonderful, meaningful life. And, Kat, I think oh. that, that somehow speaks to um, what you experienced when you went into the commons, you know, young men your own age, um, you know, living with these illnesses but actually... Um, you know, moving forward and and defining a life that was, you know, something that wasn't going to be defined by living in a group home forever. It was, you know, they were going to go out in the community and have a meaningful life. Be right back to talk with Kat about this right after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
In your family, what is most important to you? Is it health? Relationships? How about getting along better with your kids or your parents? Maybe it has to do with losing pounds or gaining financially. Whatever the problems you face in your family, you'll want to tune in to Family First with your host, author, and speaker, Randy Rolfe. Since 1985, Randy has become the foremost expert on matters concerning the family, and she can help you. Family First airs live every Friday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Our Guests today are Lindy Fox-Smith and Catherine Armstrong, and we're talking about recovery from dual disorders. And specifically, before we went to break, um, Lindy did this great segue for for Kat to talk about her experience. And um, I just wanted to remind folks that that Kat is a co-author with myself for a book that we've just published called When the Door Opened, and it's stories of recovery from co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. And having said that, Kat, um, can you continue? Absolutely. Um, so Lindy was, was speaking before we went to break about uh, the kind of experience of, of kind of getting, getting a new, I would say, perspective into this field and seeing how um, it really is, there really is hope for people with co-occurring disorders to get to a place of being uh, kind of integrated back into a community and being able to function and have meaningful activity in those communities. Um, and I think that, that that message really cannot be stated enough. I think that that was certainly one of our ideas in writing this book and sharing the stories of some of the men who've gone through or are still participating in treatment at Westbridge is kind of sharing the idea that people can have these very traumatic experiences over, in some cases, a very long period of time and, you know, be hospitalized or be in different different treatment programs for many, many years. Um, and even with that experience, absolutely have the potential to achieve um, successes in recovery, whatever that might mean to them in the context of their lives, whatever the definition of recovery uh, could mean to them personally. Um, and it was absolutely, um, I think, affirming for, for us doing the interviews and for the staff reading the stories, but ultimately most affirming for the guys that were participating in the interviews to be reflecting on what it was like for them to get to a place in their lives that they were really participating in that meaningful activity again. Um, and certainly one of, I think, the, the most pervasive and harmful misconceptions uh, with regards to co-occurring disorders is that people can't get to that place or, you know, can't be meaningfully employed or shouldn't be meaningfully employed, which is kind of horrifying, but really is a, a, a stigma that exists out there. Um, and I think that that was not necessarily a stigma that I held going into it, but had never really thought about it before and certainly can imagine being in a place if you had never had any experience uh, with individuals who, who experience these disorders can certainly imagine thinking, well, it would be hard if you were, for example, schizophrenic and had a history of extreme opiate dependence. It might be hard to get back to a place of having those meaningful activities. I understand how those perceptions exist. So 
I just think that it's so important for people uh, with co-occurring disorders, for their families, and then people like myself who exist in their normal lives totally outside of these sectors to hear stories and to understand that that really is not true, um, that individuals with every spectrum of every you know, stage of the spectrum of co-occurring disorders absolutely can get back to a place of having meaningful activity. We um, spoke with guys who just had these amazing experiences with, you know, one guy makes this, this, this beautiful furniture, unbelievable hand, handmade wood tables and chairs and um, other things like that. Another guy made bookshelves uh, for the inpatient treatment center or facility at Westbridge. Um, a lot of the guys are really into music or art or, you know, all of these different things that give them so much meaning and happiness in their lives. Um, and it's really exciting to me to be able to celebrate those experiences um, and to be able to share those with people. Um, and as Murray mentioned, uh, we did uh, put a lot of these stories into this book when the door opened. Um, the book has uh, some interesting different perspectives. Uh, my perspective is in there um, from, you know, the idea of I have a perspective being outside of the treatment profession, which hopefully can uh, speak to some of those myths and misconceptions and kind of some of the realities that uh, I certainly was thinking about going through this process and that we would hope that readers who are exterior to the treatment field or recovery field uh, might be thinking about. Um, then each chapter kind of tells the story of one of the guys as it was shared during our interview. And each chapter concludes with some of Mary's reflections uh, from her perspective as a, a seasoned treatment provider and the creator of Westbridge. Um, so would certainly encourage anybody that's interested. I don't want to plug the book too directly, but uh, to, to buy a copy if you're interested in reading it. It is available on Amazon. Um, if you go to Amazon and search Mary Woods, comma, when the door opened, that will take you directly to it. Um, or certainly people can order copies through Westbridge uh, if, if they're connected to Westbridge in that way. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it all comes back to what you were saying before, Lindy, about the importance of, of getting those hopeful messages out there for people that are experiencing these things and for families who are experiencing this because it can, when you're involved in the day-to-day, -day, um, it can, I think, be a pretty dark place for a lot of people and really important uh, to have those messages of hope out there for people to be reading and, and hearing and, uh, and hopefully understanding and feeling like that, you know, it's a possibility for them. You know, we, we were um, the recipient of many pearls of knowledge in doing our interviews with, with the, the 12 people that collaborated with us for these stories. And, Lindy, I'm going to give you a quote from one of our interviewees, and I'd just like you to respond to it. And his quote is, we speak an inherently different language. The difficult part is to learn how to stop speaking the easy language, the one that's familiar to us, and to learn the world's language so that we can communicate with the rest of humanity. And this is a, a man who experiences um, symptoms of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So I I'd just like you to comment on that. Well, what I immediately thought of, Mary, um, was my experience in 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 that um, alcohol and drug rehab uh, facility, and that that point at which I got to when I made the choice between um, uh, you know continuing with um, the hospitalizations or not. I I really I talk about it as I made a choice to be well or to remain ill. And I, I do believe that many of us with co-occurring disorders have that choice. 
we every day I think at some level choose whether to remain in that ill persona or to move towards a well person. Um, and, uh, you know, I understand the gentleman with schizophrenia was probably talking more um, about symptoms, but I, I do believe, I mean, I, I don't even know if I can express myself, but there's rewards from remaining ill. You know, you get attention, you get people, you know, uh, taking care of you and attending to you. But, you know, and so to choose to be well, um, you know, you're choosing maybe sometimes a, 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 a rougher, harder road. But there are rewards to choosing to be well that come in many, many different ways. And I recognize that choice, and I recognize that I had gotten a lot of benefits from choosing to be ill, but choosing to be well would come with many, many different kinds of benefits. So I actively every day now choose to be well. Sometimes it's a hard choice. Sometimes when I'm very symptomatic, it would be easier to choose to be sick. But I actively choose to be well every day. And I think that for some folks, when they're sick, you know, um, being sick has occupied so much of their time, their energy, their life, mm-hmm. and it becomes kind of like normal, you know? Yes, And now absolutely. if you ask to go outside of this comfort zone that I have, mm-hmm. even though I'm, I have a mental illness and addiction, it's, it, there's a lot of, um, it's scary to mm-hmm. give up any kind of life, even if you have, you know, if you don't have a mental illness, you have an addiction. Who, you know, it's scary to be sober. It's 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 it's. There's a lot of fear. There's so much work that involves in being right. sober and sane. And and yes. I don't think that people who don't witness that firsthand understand how much work it is. And right. it's just that. Well, don't drink and take your meds. Yep, absolutely. So. It's a new language, it's a new life, it's a hard choice to make because it's a lot of work, but there are many rewards. And so for those of us in the field working with folks with co-occurring disorders, we have to help them see all of those benefits. We have to help them see the rewards to be choosing to be well. Kat, can you remember through different themes in the book any of those rewards that that some of the people shared about being in recovery? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the main ones that I think was a a theme, not only in terms of the reward, but also a motivating factor for people making that choice to be healthy. Like you were saying, Lindy, I think that it was, it was remarkable to me how much of an impact that really has, how important that decision makes. I think a lot of the the men that we spoke with, um, you know, had been in various treatment programs or iterations of treatment for years and years and years. And, you know, it was really interesting to talk to them about, you know, what changed, what got you to the place of being able to really engage in treatment and get to this, this place of being in recovery. And I think that 
certainly having a really good program and really strong evidence-based integrated treatment models to be working within, that's a huge piece of it, you know, no doubt. But I think that a huge part of it, just like you were saying, is for each individual at a certain point, um, and in some cases the treatment enables this, but it really comes down to making that decision of, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change this trajectory of my life. And I think that one of the rewards uh, and one of the reasons that people made that, that was this kind of flip of the switch for a lot of people was their family. Um, you know, I think a lot of people got to a place of realizing that they, their choices and their decisions were really really damaging the relationships that they had with everybody they cared about, um, whether it be peers, friends, uh, you know, romantic relationships. But I think for everybody seeing and comprehending at whatever stage it was, the impact that their choices were, was having on their family is, was really powerful. And I would say that, uh, so that, you know, it, very impactful on the starting end of buying into treatment, but on the back end, you know, hearing people reflect on how incredible it was to experience these uh, new relationships with their family was just unbelievably moving. I mean, people saying, there was at least, I would say, 50% of our interviewees said something along the lines of, my mother or my father or both have told me that they have their son back and how meaningful that is to them. So I think that that's, that's certainly a major reward. Um, and I think to a lot of people's, uh, for a lot of people's experiences, that idea of being able to participate in meaningful activity again, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of the men that we spoke with had gotten to a place where they felt like they couldn't uh, relate to anybody without being on substances, that they couldn't really participate in society or that they felt like society didn't care about them, didn't care about their existence. Uh, and once they were able to get to this place of recovery, um, have really been able to re-engage in their lives in a new and different way that they haven't, hadn't been able to access in a really long time, uh, whether that be, again, relationships with peers um, or just the simple things like being able to go back to school and study things that really interest them and be able to engage in classes as opposed to being high all the time um, or, you know, learn, like I mentioned, these guys that have gotten really into carpentry, being able to make these unbelievable things that just make them so happy and so proud, um, I think is a huge reward to people that some, out, again, people outside of, outside of these fields or who haven't experienced these disorders might take for granted, um, but being able to share in those things again and to feel that sense of accomplishment and pride in yourself and, and what you've achieved, I think, is um, really not to be understated as a reward for achieving, you know, these levels in recovery. Uh, and, and we'll be right back yep. after this commercial break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Get the latest information in health and wellness when you tune into On the Radio with Dr. Ray. Each week, you'll find out the latest and greatest from both traditional and holistic perspectives. Your host, Dr. Robert Ray, better known as Dr. 90210, is the best known and most sought after plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. Dr. Ray, with his co-host, Natalie Day, will help you get the dream body you've always wanted through diet and exercise, not surgery and medicine. On the Radio with Dr. Ray airs live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today, we are talking about recovery from dual disorders, and we have a little catchphrase. We like to say that recovery is a marathon, not a sprint. And we're talking today with Lindy Fox-Smith, who is um, a private trainer and consultant in co-occurring disorders. She's recently retired from the Dartmouth Psychiatric Research Center after having worked there for 23 years. She also works part-time for Westbridge. And our other guest is Catherine Armstrong, who is part, is, who, I'm sorry, who is part of the consulting team of Dunleaving Associates, and she's located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Before we went to break, Kat was talking about how one of the themes for a lot of the uh, people who participated in the book was the importance of their family and, and their family being able to um, hang in there with them through the, the difficult times that they had experienced. And, Lindy, I know one of your passions and one of the our research projects that you've worked on is um, an evidence-based practice for for families and individuals with co-occurring disorders. And could you share with us a little bit why that's effective and what it is? Yes. One of my lifetime goals is to make mental health family-friendly, and, and that is that is quite a goal. Um, probably 10 years ago now or, or more, more, I think back in 2000, a colleague of mine at uh, Dartmouth, um, him and I decided that uh, we really needed a family intervention for folks with co-occurring disorders because we know from the research that working with families is a is a very very important and beneficial intervention after after medication it cuts hospitalizations for folks with a mental illness and substance use disorder in half so him and I actually uh, did a a, re, a controlled randomized uh, trial for uh, family um, intervention, and I'm very, very proud to say it's the the family model that Westbridge uses, and um, it's a very effective model for folks with co-occurring disorders, and and it provides education for the family members, um, and also um, problem solving and communication skills for the whole family, and. Uh, as as Kat was saying, and I think maybe from listening to my story, um, you can understand that having family involved um, in the recovery process is is one of the reasons that that people 
uh, get into recovery. It's a very, very motivating factor. And then, you know, having those family members in recovery is, is one piece of the puzzle, but then educating those family members so that they can be not only a part of the recovery, but a part of the the treatment, a part of the support system is, is huge. And so, um, you know, providing that information, skills, strategies to help family members, you know, as I was saying about my own relapse, to help them understand early warning signs and triggers and to be part of a relapse prevention plan. So just to bring family in and, uh, you know, families are just eager for that kind of information, for that knowledge. And it's just been a, a wonderful um, part of my recovery, and and I just am so excited every time I work with a family. I I feel it's just you know a, a bonus. I feel um, so privileged when a family allows me in to work with them um, as a part of the process. So you know, family intervention is just. Um, you know, something that should not ever be um, excluded. And unfortunately, mental health in general hasn't recognized this or just does not provide the training for clinicians graduating from um, our our educational systems to um, work with families. But um, so it, it is just key and, and really an important part of the work that you can do with families with uh, co-occurring uh, members in their family. Lindy, where can listeners go to learn more about evidence-based practices for co-occurring disorders? Uh, that's a great question. Um, certainly, they could go to Dartmouth's website. Um, Dartmouth has Hundreds, and and I do. I I don't even know what the recent number is of publications that we have on our website around all of the um, treatments and and studies that we've done around co-occurring disorders. So I think Dartmouth um, uh, Dartmouth Psychiatric Research Center um, to go to that website, they would find many many publications that they can download for free. Um, that would be a wonderful place to go. Amazon.com has um, a book uh, that I'm a co-author on. It, the, it's an integrated treatment for uh, dual disorders. That, that's a wonderful resource just around information, uh, probably more, though, um, for clinicians rather than the general public. Um, Westbridge um, has some wonderful newsletters, I think, um, that can be very helpful. I think that the internet, although you don't health. know what you're getting when you go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Hazelden the um, Behavioral Help um, yeah. website has some very nice publications that Dartmouth has collaborated with, um, and, and they might go there to look for information. Um, Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. Yes, they have the website. Has, yes, for sure. The website has information on the evidence-based practices um, yep. as well as other information on co-occurring disorders. Yes, um, certainly. I, you know, we're getting near the end of our hour. It's just flown by. So I want to give you each of you an opportunity to just kind of wrap up um, what you, 
for Kat what your experience was in in this project of when the door opened. And I guess for you, Lindy, what you might want to leave, what lasting, what's the take-home message for our listeners? So um, why don't we start with Kat? Um, I would say that my, uh, I mean, there was certainly, this was a hugely eye-opening experience for me. So there are many, many, I mean, I could, could talk for an hour just on the takeaways that I've had on their own. But um, I would say the largest ones would be, one, how pervasive these disorders are, and not just in terms of people who are experiencing them themselves, but all of the other people that are impacted by these disorders uh, when they have a family or loved one who is experiencing them. I think through writing, uh, through going through this process and, and co-authoring this book, I've obviously been talking about it and uh, in other you know circles and communities that I live and exist in, and it's been really amazing to me how many, I mean, a huge number of people um, that are in my personal life or professional life that have since confided in me about experiences that they've had uh, within their family or friend groups um, or, you know, loved ones that, that they know um, who have experienced either mental illness or substance use disorders or co-occurring disorders. So um, it's been really amazing to me and really eye-opening to just understand how many people are impacted and just how little it is talked about by people outside of these professions that I think people don't realize that it's something that they can talk about and should talk about and can get a lot of support from other individuals on um, unless they have been involved in treatment. Uh, so I guess my big takeaway is just hoping that more people will learn about it and gain awareness. And briefly, um, like in one minute or less, Lindy, can you give us our take-home message? The take-home message for me is hope. And if you're a family member or a friend um, and you have someone in your life with a co-occurring disorder who seems very hopeless, um, you can provide the hope for them. Um, it it um, is a very hopeful full uh, future recovery is possible for everyone. And when they're feeling hopeless, you can bring the hope to them and give them hope that recovery is possible. Thank you both for participating in our show today. And if anyone's interested in When the Door Opened, our stories of recovering from co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders, it's available on Amazon.com. Thank you both. It's been a great show. Thank, Thank you, Mary. Mary. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.